I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It's Charlie Lowe! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here as always and I'm joined by my friend and colleague with the 42, Murray Kinsella. Murray, how are you? How was your weekend? Yeah, good. Enjoyed the rugby, um, although some didn't. And yeah, all's well. The sun is out in Dublin, so I'm happy. And Damien Brown, actually I don't want to do any spoilers, but I'm listening to his podcast, as I said before. and I'm living vicariously through it um, and things are looking up. So, so I'm happy, Gav. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I just realised I asked you how your weekend was. I kind of meant your week, but I had a midday day or midweek day off, so I kind of feel like it's a Monday or Tuesday for some reason. Good that you're keeping well. Bernard Jackman joins us as well. Birch, how are things in your end? Yeah, great week. Uh, obviously, looking forward to chatting about a few different things, not just match previews and reviews. Um, uh, look, uh, I uh, saw the itinerary, so let's crack on. Yeah, the itinerary was set in the members' rugby WhatsApp group, as it tends to be. Members.the42.ie if you want to support the 42's independent sports journalism. And also, if you want to join that group and kind of set the agenda for this podcast. And today's episode will be centred largely around punditry, because we've done enough whinging in the last couple of weeks. And in fairness to Bernard... We want to give him a break from fielding calls from the IRFU in his role as podcast secretary. So we're going to chat about punditry today and look inward and complain about our own. <laughs> the, broad, the, the, broad, the broadcasting authorities we have, to, have to be after today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the producers I work with. Hope, yeah. Okay. Hope, Trying to stay out of trouble. Hopefully the BAI will give Murray or myself a <laughs> ring, you know. Uh, that might be our remit. So we're going to chat about punditry. Generally speaking, we've loads of questions from the group and talk to the two lads who are fairly well placed I think to get into the nuts and bolts of it having worked with what three four broadcasters between you over the last three or four years more so we'll do that we're going to look back on the Champions Cup final um, and maybe look ahead as well a little bit for what's to come for those two French teams because obviously the game has been covered in great detail since Uh, quick look ahead as well to the Rainbow Cup towards the end of the show Let's play on, though, and look back on that Toulouse victory in the end, Murray, and you, you and Owen Toul- Toulon uh, analysed it on Monday Four members. And even when we, the three of us on this podcast, were chatting in the middle of the game, uh, there were times, junctures in the game, where La Rochelle probably blew opportunities, and it really did give you a sense of narrative almost, and, and a, a feeling of inevitability that they would rue those chances, and it would be a case of what might have been for them. And despite their best efforts towards the end to actually turn that on its head a little bit, that's kind of how it transpired in the end. Like, just frustrating moments from their point of view and credit to Toulouse for fending off that little fight back at the end because it looked like they were about to turn the screw. It was a nervy ending for sure. When when Roman Antimac is running around with the ball and it's 22, you're thinking, what is going on here? And La Rochelle still, I think, looking back on it, even with the red card, we'll have huge regrets about how they lost. As you say, absolutely, that period from 12 to 26 minutes, just before the red card, they're camped down the, the line for a, for a long period. Toulouse keep making errors to let them back in. It's a, a knock-on in the air from Entomac that initially gives them the access. And even after they miss with those two five-metre scrums and, and don't convert that into a try, Toulouse gives them another couple of opportunities. And eventually they pop over three points, but it felt like that period absolutely needed a try just to hammer home um, that amount of territory and, and possession in a, in a dangerous place. Toulouse, to their credit, clung on and they kind of problem solved at the scrum even and it looked like it was going to be a, 
potentially even a penalty try or, or keep marching them back for penalties there but didn't transpire that way and you think about then the eight points off the tee the, the two penalty misses and and a conversion as well um you know that's massive in a final that's huge especially the one after half time such a key kind of moment in the game where they've steadied themselves really well after the red card and actually led at half time and you've a chance to open up a little bit of a, a scoreboard gap where suddenly Toulouse are, are getting a little bit panicky they also nearly scored a try Pierre Bourguery who's been brilliant all season gets really close and just loses the ball over the try line again they score there and it's a it's a very different game so even with the red card there was real opportunity there for for them to win it to lose absolutely deserve credit for especially that brilliant winning try which it was i know they scored another pen after that but it was a lovely flowing move and to max pass is, is gorgeous um and they probably exploit the the one-man advantage there because la rochelle could have done with another fella folding around the corner and and and, and giving them a little bit more width in their d um and to lose had those moments didn't they they had all the attacking I suppose spark even in the first minute they they make a lovely line break off a off a starter play from the line out two phases and and Richie Arnold puts Francois Crow away for a big line break but unfortunately they knocked that on there was one down the left hand side where to to where Carbarlo has to make a brilliant tackle uh, in a in a two on one situation just to prevent them from from breaching the line obviously Colby goes very close incredible tackle from from Dumeru. um and listen La Rochelle absolutely deserve credit for being that close with only 14 but I think still they'll, they'll have huge regrets Birch when we chat about punditry in a minute it, the, it's based or uh, its origins are a question from one of the members which is asked with a kind of a critical slant of BT's pundits but I thought Sam Warburton did a really good job early in that game of identifying a period in the game that La Rochelle would look back on with regret and it was quite early as well and he was kind of making the point that we always speak about the last kind of five, ten minutes as being the the key juncture of the game, like the deciding uh, period of the game, but that if you have opportunities to score earlier and you don't take them, it's just as important. It kind of reminds me of the captain's challenge a little bit where they make a special dispensation for the end of the game when in reality every minute, every chance is as important. And I guess from your point of view, when you're watching that as a coach, you see those opportunities missed and you understand the psychology of a game and the, the kind of mental energy of a game. You're probably thinking along similar lines, are you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think La Rochelle definitely didn't settle as well as quickly as they would have liked. Um, they were making uncharacteristic errors. And I actually think that the red card kind of helped them a little bit in terms of they took the pressure off them. And I thought they, they responded, you know, brilliantly. Down. They tightened up as well, obviously. You know, they played a lot more off nine and they're very effective when they play direct like that. So, um, but yeah, I definitely think you could sense, oh, look, it was an untypically Irish June start by La Rochelle and potentially the occasion um, and uh, the hype and excitement maybe got to them, even though they have plenty of experience. It's just, just didn't really fire to the level that I was expected them. Having said that, I think John, well, Rog now, because John is leaving, um, they have a team who, who have a lot of resilience and mental strength because you know they didn't you know people who say all oh, red cards ruin games and you can't win with a red card they actually could have they could have won that game um and you know i think they deserve massive credit for for staying in the contest and playing for whatever 50 minutes with um or more with with, with 14 men and and not not taking a backward step and actually as murray said you know problem solving and, and both teams problem solved really well i think um just having Dupont uh, at nine was probably the key I think uh he again 
stepped up on a big occasion and and you know at the at the key moments was was very smart and um yeah to lose to lose this probably deserved to win they got the they got the deciding try but um yeah it's i think both teams will will build on it is 10 where La Rochelle need to improve most pertinently or most glaringly Murray do you think yeah i mean when you look at the missed kicks and there was a couple of little bit of inaccuracies even there was a pen advantage where um, the little diagonal kick to Vito goes flying into touch and you think oh you know the best out of in the world probably take those chances off the tee and, and nail those pressure moments having said that West was really good in the semi-final and obviously it's different circumstances and he's in a new situation I suppose for him in his career being in the final and, and I suppose I give every player a chance of learning and getting better from it um, so yeah I, I do think listen La Rochelle will have scope to keep improving their squad you know they're in a pretty good situation financially they've got when fans are there as we've said before incredible support coming in 16,000 every single time um, and real passionate fans at that so they'll keep adding to it 10 is probably the obvious one that stands out um, but West has had loads of really big moments this season as well I've watched him in the top 14 regularly and he's been really good at times and, and they're in a really good position there so <clears throat> it'll be fascinating to see if they can get back into another final really short term because obviously they're in the hunt in the top 14 and how quickly they can learn from the experience of this one in, in that game so um, yeah I, I would imagine they'll feel there's loads in that even like Batia and what a horrible day for him obviously with the red card completely deservedly um, but even before that, it, he obviously wasn't fully fit and, and he knocks on the ball. He gets stripped really uncharacteristically, even though DuPont is brilliant at that as well, um, just a couple of metres out from the try line. And I, I imagine he'd just love another shot at a final, being fitter and, and more sharp. So I'd love to see them actually play to lose again in that top 14 game. It would be brilliant. Well, if any head coach is going to show patience with their out-half after a poor display in a first European final, it'll probably be Ronan O'Gara, given his own previous... Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much pressure um, goes on 10 and, and Raj will, will know that. Um, I think West, West is a player I, I, I watched a lot when he played Super Rugby and he has that unbelievable flair and attacking game. But I've been very impressed with his um, his development as a as a European style 10. I think he he's getting a lot better. And, and I, I know he didn't, you know, um, uh, blow the lights away or blow, blow the house down on, on Saturday but I do think he's worth persevering with I think with police on as well they've got two good 10 so I don't see La Rochelle going out and changing the personnel I just think they'll bring both those through um, and, and they'll develop uh, together and, and, and be be a key part of, of La Rochelle over the next couple of years their, their age profile is good for both and um, yeah Raj will definitely be invaluable I think you can already see the influence he's had on him um, but I think that will that will grow with, with more time. And just for him to be in those tight, like, let's be honest, we love Super Rugby, but it, it's rarely that kind of um, contest. I mean, that you know, the, the top end knockout European games are very different in how the game unfolds. Um, and uh, I think West West obviously had a little stint with the Hurricanes, but, uh, um, but that's a new experience for him to be at the top end of European rugby trying to, help his team close out a, a cup final with 14 men. So I think he'll definitely learn from it and um, he's definitely in the right place. It could have been Jack Crowley next season, but that's another story yeah, altogether. could have been. Uh, yeah, and that's maybe part of the reason why I'm asking. I guess the fact that Raj was curious about another 10 would make you wonder, but then that could have been a more of a long-term project for him. Yeah, I don't think he would have expected Crowley to come straight in and be the, the kind of 
franchise 10 or whatever but um no it was a really interesting one wasn't it and i watched um the ireland sevens a couple of weekends ago and jack crowley was playing in that and he was outstanding it was against usa and and um great britain and he played really well he's just such a talented player he's back with munster now um and hopefully we'll see him in the rainbow cup because like obviously ron o'gara recognizes it as well like game game recognizes game um and he's got a lot of ability one last one on this uh, and maybe i'm stirring the pot a little bit unnecessarily but in Roger's post-match interview on BT when he was talking about Baudier and the decision to start him and how he had questions to answer, actually, for making that decision, I wonder, did you get the same impression as me, Murray, which was that he was actually kind of subliminally hinting that it wasn't his decision or it was a decision that he probably disagreed with in advance of it going wrong, if that makes sense? Yeah, that hadn't occurred to me, and you are stirring shite. <laughs> I'm only messing, I'm only messing. Uh, yeah, like Gib- John O'Gibbs is, is still currently the director of rugby and, and is the, the big boss. But I think I think anyone in that position would have started Batia because he's such an important player. Like players do play injured all the time and it's a final and he's so impactful for you generally. And it's easy to say now it was the wrong decision. It probably was. But at the time when you're trying to make that call, Bert, you, you'll have insight into it with, with selection and important players like that generally you're going to go for it, particularly with so much on the line. Yeah, and there's there's things that you can't basically put into numbers, you know, so you can do tests on on their speed with the GPS and, and are they back to full speed, etc. Um, you know, they, the players can give you feedback on, in terms of their agility and and, uh, and things like that. But I think with someone like Bottia, it's actually what you throw into the whole scenario is the confidence it gives the other 14 men walking out the tunnel with him. You know what I mean? Knowing that you have this hard-ass winner, leader, um, you know, a guy who's got no fear, talisman for you. So I think that that gets into coaches' minds as well. And and you make those decisions. And and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But that's what, that's what it's all about. So a certain level of intuition. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't take it that Rog wasn't part. Of, and I, I could be wrong on this. That he wasn't part of that decision or didn't agree with it. I think... Potentially, what I took from it was, and I might be wrong, was he was trying to, he was trying to take away the blame from the player, um, and say, look at, you know, we made that decision, we probably rushed it, and you know that obviously uh, could have, could have played into, into the act. Um, so yeah, that was how I took it. But again, I think those you have to understand that those big game players, they're they're who win you game, like they win you those games. You know, it's not your, it's not your average squad. Um, who who often comes out and has a wordly in a in a in a big match? It's the guys who've been there, done it before, and and Botti is certainly someone who's done that for a long time. And unfortunately, on this occasion, you know he he overstepped the mark, trying to be physical. He made a few errors, um, and and he got a justified red card. But I think the you know from from the outside, the thought process behind starting him, um, you know, is it makes sense. You know, those guys can come back sometimes from injury. With very little prep and just get himself up to speed. So, um, yeah, I, I I thought he was trying to trying to look after the player more so than than shift the blame onto someone else. But that's my own opinion. I don't know. There was saying. a nice shot as well at, at half time, just before they kind of go to the break. They're coming down the steps, and O'Gara obviously has a lot in his mind, a lot of messages he wants to give to the team who are still on the pitch. But you can see him. He he stops. He puts his arm around Botti. Yeah, a couple of words in his ears. It looked like he was saying, "Listen, these things happen." Um, will be okay or, or whatever it was and Bottia clearly distraught 
Um, just a nice little touch and a sign of, I suppose, that man management side that he talks about now an awful lot, that particularly from the Crusaders, he took away as, as being integral. It will be fascinating next season and a new challenge for him again in his career as he steps up, being the big boss, being the guy with the final, final call on selection, which, as Birch says, he, he obviously was part of. Uh, that'd be an interesting challenge for him, obviously, being the one who makes the final decision because it's a tricky part of the of the the challenge of being the, the main guy is getting that right every time, keeping everyone happy uh, and keeping the squad ticking over. So that's something to look forward to him for for as well. Yeah, the key the key one is uh, um, is to be able to stay on the field um, and also stay close to the players because when you become the guy who's deciding um, we're not going to renew your contract, we're not going to give you the three-year contract you want, um, we're going to give you a pay cut, it's very difficult for that player, in my experience, to not associate you with that decision, even though sometimes you're you're working to a budget, you're working to a, a changing financial climate. So that's going to be the key, how he organises that part of it. And I, I've said on the record before, I think that's where Leo and Stuart are very lucky that they have someone like I used to be and, and Mick Dawson who, who look after that end of it. And even though, I know it's, it's, it's actually crazy because everybody's involved in that decision. So if I'm given... Uh, John, uh, you know, uh, you know, John Doe, a contract, and I'm Guy, uh, and I'm Leinster. It's not Guy Easterby's decision on his own. You know, everyone's involved in that. Leo and Stewart are involved in that. But sometimes the player, or the player's family, or or, or whatever, seems to think it's the messenger, and that can then, that can uh, carry on into training, into into games. So that's going to be key for Raj. Um, and even though you can be really close to someone and look after them and show them you care about them, when it comes down to the financial end of it. Uh, if it's not the deal they want, they forget about that quite quickly. So um, I think that'll be the, the big challenge for him. And I'm sure he's aware of that. And, and I'm sure La Rochelle will put the support around him to uh, make sure that that doesn't become a, a negative for him because they're on such a positive role at the moment. Um, you know, it's key they, they, they keep that. It's possible as well. I know we said we'd move on from this, but the fact that they lost this final Murray I know there's still the top 14 to play for it, but that it makes his job and that ascension a tiny bit easier next season. He won't look at it this way, of course, but if you're going into that role and your side are already European champions, you like it, it takes even more effort to try and hang on to that, to retain a European trophy, for example, than it does to win it to begin with. You know, So to have that bit between their teeth and a little bit of a chip on their shoulder based on what happened in this year's final is a nice little couple of percent that they might be able to dig into in the latter stages of next year's competition when he is in that role. Absolutely. And again, no one knows it better than O'Gara. He was part of that monster journey where there were plenty of chips on the shoulder by the time they, they got over the line and plenty of pain before it and learning what it takes and what you can't get away with in those circumstances. So absolutely. For me, looking at it, again, all that stuff we've mentioned about the club and their incredible rise really in the last number of years particularly um, they're moving in one direction and it seems pretty clear that we'd be talking about them in semi-finals and finals again very soon If you enjoy Rugby Weekly every Thursday but reckon you could do with an added weekly fix of rugby analysis then become a member of the 42 for the measly cost of a takeaway pint per month First of all look forget about takeaway pints or the discount price of 42 euro for a full year and tune into Rugby Weekly Extra every Monday 
when Murray Kinsella and Kintetsu Liner's Head of Analysis, Owen Toulon, go under the hood to inspect the weekend's action from both hemispheres. I'm glad I'm talking to you because I'm in day six of hotel quarantine in Melbourne, so not gone mad just yet. The 42 membership also gives you access to the famed Members Rugby WhatsApp group, the participants in which help to steer our pod coverage, and insiders' emails from Murray, Gary Doyle and our team of rugby writers. Of course, you'll also be supporting the 42's independent sports journalism, and that support has never been more important in helping us to bring you even more insight, analysis, and rugby reportage from the keenest eyes and the sharpest minds in the game. To join the 42, visit members.the42.ie. There were loads of other instances and incidents in that game refereeing decisions towards the end or non-decisions Murray and Owen Toulon dug into it all on Monday for the 42 members if you want to listen back to that one uh, the question that led us onto the topic of punditry is actually related to this game uh, Kean Hoyland had the question he said we talk a lot here about TV rights and favorite commentators etc but we're all a bit rug- uh, we're all rugby nerds given Birch and Murray are both on TV this is more a Thursday pod question. Uh, but we just had the European final, the showpiece, the competition that almost tore Europe apart, and the host broadcaster have a comms team that describe it as dull and other short words. <laughs> How dangerous is this to the game when the custodians and those charged with sharing the game can't appreciate how a tactical, forward-oriented game pans out versus a 35-42 shootout that teaches no one anything? Is this an issue as rights jump around and rugby becomes a harder game to explain? I think first and foremost, we can determine from that question that Kean Highland is or was a forward at one point in his life. But <laughs> it's funny, Murray, we, we, when we were chatting in the group, um, or ju- just the three of us during the game, you and I were both blown away by, say, the error count. And there wasn't, particularly in the first half, a flow to the game that you would associate with it being conventionally entertaining and yet we were both we both also made the point that we were absolutely still captivated by it because of the collisions because of the forward battle and i guess for the commentators on bt there say austin healy or whoever was calling it dull they're very much cognizant of the fact that they've got a massive audience on that particular day including people who wouldn't typically watch rugby and for a more casual sports fan it might not be a conventionally entertaining spectacle so they're probably trying to toe the line a little bit it's it's like not wanting to hype it up too much and maybe they feel by shitting on it a little bit they're adding a little bit of comic value for somebody who's stuck on the couch with a rugby fanatic who doesn't really want to be there or who isn't enjoying it i don't know it, it well going back to Keane's question is it like a problem for the game if people can't appreciate a game like that and they're broadcasting it to millions I don't really think so, to be honest. Like, I think, say, Austin Healy, with that description, is being honest. That's his perspective on it. He obviously has a his own perspective on what a, an enjoyable rugby game entails. And I would imagine it's more of what we saw for the Chesley and Colby near try and that kind of thing. The first half of this match was, it was low quality. There was a, a huge number of uncharacteristic errors from both sides, understandably. And generally, you're going to get that with the nerves of a final. But... I think other people would listen to it and go, yeah, he's right. It, it was a dull game. Um, Keane has a, a probably a good insight, as you say, onto forwards play and enjoying that side of it. Um, but others others don't. And, and they're looking for a little bit more of a flow to the game, a lower error count. Um, 
and it's okay for people to say that a game wasn't bad like there's bad games all the time it's, this wasn't a classic final it was absolutely i agree with you it was i found it engaging and absorbing um because it was nervy because it was in the balance because you were waiting for that moment but i mean i probably won't watch it back too many other times i won't save it on my hard drive as a, as a kind of classic game and there are a number of those in, in european rugby over the years um also i suppose watching for, for the irish supporter watching as a neutral makes it a very different proposition as well um but certainly austin healy wasn't the only one that i've spoken to and and heard describe it as a, a kind of dull or or not a very exciting game to watch um and i don't think there is an onus on the people who are commentating on it to over state it or say something they don't believe about a game that's also going to be frustrating for supporters if you think someone's being false um and overhyping something that doesn't quite warrant it so yeah i didn't personally have a big issue with them saying that i think at the time in the game it was a bit stodgy as well and it hadn't quite clicked there was a lot of ball out of play time at, at that moment as well so yeah I, I don't think it's a massive issue really there's probably a danger sometimes bernard as well where if a first half fails to live up to expectations as that one possibly did although you did flag in advance that every time the french sides had met in york this season it had been a bit of a stinker but that narrative if you like or that perception of the game nearly carries into the second half and despite the fact that the second half and the ending to the game was actually really good i think like it was just a lot of fun that the commentators the pundits have almost made up their mind at that point that it just hasn't been a classic final that's always a phrase oh it wasn't a classic um when in reality like it was an absolutely it was absolutely a fun second half and fun finish of the game yeah and i think pundits and certainly me were like very similar to supporters so especially for like neutral which the, the bt the bt crew were, were were neutral um you know uh on, on that final obviously Drico would have a strong relationship with raj etc but they're not from those clubs so you know i think the first half an hour was poor quality then it's a red card and most of us then think oh it's a formality you know what i mean Toulouse are going to win this and we start to we started to verbalize that that you know we're going to have we know the winner and it's not and um the quality hasn't been great and also i think Okay, it was great. There was ten thousand people there, but certainly for me, um, uh, since we've been back uh, at games, commentating in empty stadiums, um, it's it's harder to to really appreciate the quality uh, um, of it because you're not getting carried away with the crowd. The crowds can often make up for poor quality games because the atmosphere is so good, you know. So even a knock on is 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 a big moment because the other team and the other crowd gets get up on that because they have a set piece or whatever. So I think the game has been exposed more now without crowds or even with 10,000 people than uh, than it has been. And I, and I feel sorry. For, I think, I look, at, I think what I want from pundits is, um, is to call it as they see it. So if it's not the greatest game of all time, don't try and sell it as being the greatest game of all time. Just actually, and if Austin Healy, my experience with him, you know, he doesn't really, he's not massively into the kind of the, the game management and the finer dark arts of forwards play. So that's fine. That's just, that's his, that's his unique insight into the game. And um, you either agree or disagree with him where someone like Sam, Sam Warburton is, is probably less impulsive and more analytical. I and mean, that's what he brings. Um, and I, I think the key is to get a mix of it. So I, I actually really like BT's coverage. And um, I know uh, some of the members don't, but personally for me, I do think they, um, they do a pretty good job, and I certainly, you know, I I enjoy their coverage. And it's not for me. I try, I you know, I try and watch the game on its own merits, and um, 
you know, make my own mind up whether I enjoy it or not. And um, they can add to that, but they, they very rarely take away from it. You know what I mean? I, I still I still will enjoy the game based on the game rather than the punditry. Well, it is worth noting that, I th- and I think I can speak for all three of us, that we would have had three options on which to, or three channels on which to watch that game. And we all opted for BT. Murray, unless you correct me there. I watched on Virgin because I have the now TV pass and there's always a delay. So if you're on Twitter at the same time, it gets a, a spoil for you. But the Virgin coverage is enjoyable as well. They had Raj on for interviews as well, obviously. So there's good insight in there before and after. But um, I agree. I really like the BT sport coverage. And I know Austin Healy's a really divisive character still always has been and throws out strong opinions even on the commentary but i think he's an unbelievably good analyst actually at the in-game stuff in particular like some of the things he picks out live with one viewing and he gets his piero his his in-game graphics drawn on unbelievably quickly and then the next break and play he'll have it all set up it's actually unbelievably skillful what he does um and it's impossible to appreciate for those of us who haven't been in that position <clears throat> But um, he's got a great eye for that kind of stuff. And, and I think he gives great insight there. Um, but yeah, he does, obviously. And he's well aware of of riling people up and, and causing a bit of debate. But that is also his job. Like, often, and here we are, after the Champions Cup final, we're discussing the coverage. And, and part of that is, is that you disagree with people and that they piss you off sometimes. That is part of it. Um, you don't want to overdo that. But I think Healy actually gets a good balance of offering opinion and being analytical at times as well. Just, yeah, just on that, I think that's, I agree with you, Murray, that's a very difficult skill because um, I'm not sure how BT do it, but generally what happens is you, um, you you press a button which mutes your, your as such as a co-commentator goes back to the truck and you call out the analysis. Um, and sometimes I, I don't even think Healy gets a chance to have a look at it before it, it comes in so quick before it comes back. So obviously he's got a real trust and relationship with the, uh, with the graphics person, but I, I do find his ability to pick out a piece of play uh, in game and, and be able to um, explain it to the pundit, to the fans. It, it's probably unique. I actually haven't seen anyone in rugby do it that quickly. Um, and, and that, well, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's difficult because also you're supposed to be co-common. I know they have two co-coms, but, uh, it, it's a very difficult skill to be able to send back a piece of analysis um, and then wait for, a, have it prepped and then wait for a break and play and be able to nail it one go live. Um, so I think, you know, just the viewers might not understand how that how that works. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely not not easy. I should stress as well when I was saying that I watched it on BT, I, I'd often deviate. I might watch one game uh, on a given weekend on BT and watch the other on Virgin like I, I really like Virgin's coverage as well and I particularly like Virgin's commentary I've chose BT this weekend because I kind of heard Warburton was on it and I find him I'm kind of like just tuning into the odd match he does because I think he's getting better and better at it and I think he has the potential to be a little bit different he, he kind of feels like a little bit more of a it's not fair to say he's more of a cerebral pundit but I, you always get the sense he he has a sense of the flow of a game and, and it's kind of like an intangible that he's able to track very nicely, you know? Um, well, I think I've the, the point you made earlier on about being able to contextualise that period of pressure is definitely something he's really good at. Him and Paul O'Connell will be the other one in that bracket who I thought he's a massive loss to punditry and now he's back with Ireland. But he was unbelievably good at hammering home how important a moment was, like say a lost line out or something that sometimes if you're watching casually at home with your mates, you kind of just ignore almost or don't really 
um, you don't really pay attention to it, but they're brilliant at just kind of hammering home. That's a really important pressure point that's lifted them out of their 22. Um, and I think that's a really good skill as well. So it definitely takes all different varieties of skills. And, and the, the key I found and the thing I've enjoyed about BT is they're actually really good at kind of matching and marrying that. They obviously have two co-commentators and that's an interesting model as well. I don't know what your experience of that is, Birch, um, because obviously so much just a commentator and one co-com and the one co-com gets all the the out of play time. But on BT, there's a, a couple of voices there. It's really interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. so Premier, um, Premier generally have two co-coms. Um, so I've been in with Mark Robson as the commentator um and then i've had someone like stephen ferris or, or andrew trimble or, or darren cave usually as the as the joint co-com and it's actually great uh, to be honest it, it gives you more time um and you effectively only talk about what you actually um are, are interested in you know so uh the problem with co-com sometimes is like you have to fill fill space um to a certain extent now on tv it's a lot less than radio radio you have to um make sure that the the, the the listener is always informed of what's happening whereas with tv you can actually shut up for a while and just let everything calm down and let the the viewer watch the footage um but i i like two co-coms because you can give the other guy a nudge or he gives you a nudge if there's something they want to bring up and it gives you a little bit more time to um i suppose think through in in, in more depth the next point you're going to make um and yeah i think you miss less i, I think between the two of you and, and then the commentator um, I think you can give the the viewers um, better insight, uh, and I like that. But obviously, it's more expensive. Uh, it's more expensive for the producer. Um, yeah, for me personally, particularly when you're in the gantry. <laughs> well, that's only if they're feeding me. That's only if they have to. It's part of my deal is is my lunch and dinner. You know. Um, no, but look at yeah. I, I like I like it. Um, to be honest, I like it. I've done I've done both. Um, and I, but pers- probably personally for me. Uh, I do prefer having a second co-com to be able to uh, work with. There's a question here from Kalon about your own co-commentary, Birch, and your experience of it. And uh, Murray, he says you can tag in here as well. But uh, do you find it harder to get lost in the emotion of ma- of a match now that you are a co-commentator? Uh, George Hamilton recently said that commentary has almost desensitized him to the point that at games that he attends as a fan he still feels like a commentator and that people are listening uh, he says he should add that george has been in the gig for decades but still has birch found it hard to get up to the emotional pitch and i guess birch to paraphrase or to um go back over Kalon's original question are you able to get caught up in the emotion of a match now yeah. since you've taking the mic yeah you, i can but a less so for tv than radio because i think you have to be calmer um because you're not trying to um paint the picture solely through words um because obviously the viewer has has as visuals of it um I got, the monster connaught game was my ro- most recent game and, uh, i got a bit of slagging because there was a the, there was a look like the, the connaught nine was get got blocked down and i kind of let out yes but i wasn't yes monster it was just Yes, that there was going to be a bit of exciting play, um, and you can stop yourself. But because that was a, for me, that was a really interesting game. Uh, even though obviously the, most of the most of the the post match analysis went on to the refereeing, um, I just thought it was a fascinating contest. Connacht were underdogs; they came and and obviously you know a bit of a hit and run got got some opportunist tries, and then were hanging on. But I was I wanted the game to ebb and flow towards the end. So um, yeah, I think you still get emotionally involved in it. 
and that's a game that like I don't have an emotional attachment to to Munster or Connacht, even though I play for Connacht anymore. I I don't have attachment to any of the the real pro- like four provinces. I'm trying to be um, as neutral as I can, but I think within a game, if 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 something exciting happens, then it's good for me anyway to uh, to express that, you know. But obviously, you have to be careful because then you get criticised for for saying you wanted one team to win, um, which honestly isn't the case. I think when you like, I'm going down to Limerick tomorrow night for for air and premier and, and and it's Munster Cardiff uh, and I just the most important thing I want is a good game and I, and again a good game for me can be can be three all honestly it's not just about scoring um scoring tries and, and a massive amount of points but a really good contest for me is is um is what I look forward to people do often tend to conflate the audible excitement of a commentator or a co-commentator with the type of bias and it's insane really their job is to relay the excitement as it's happening on the pitch in front of them and then when they get too excited if one team scores they get a barrage of abuse or accusations that they're partisan and martin tyler in soccer is the big one really you know how many of the top clubs in england or all of the clubs in england really would suggest that he is a fan of one of their rival clubs like united fans would say tyler is a city fan because of the aguero moment when city won the league liverpool fans would say he's probably a united fan as well whereas uh like in reality i think he's a walking fan like he doesn't actually care about any of these clubs he just likes a story and he likes a bit of excitement you know the thing with that i'd encourage people to think of their own bias when they think someone's biased think of your own bias like where is your perspective coming from as i've said before with our written stuff it's unreal we always get we get criticized of bias against and for each of the provinces depending on the circumstances or the, the story so um everyone brings their own unique perspective and that's part of the crack as well um as long as there's no abuse going on. Well, here's one for you, Murray, from Hugo. Have the lads, Murray in particular, any comments on the difficulty of being critical of the of Irish rugby in general? At times when the shit is hitting the fan and is obvious to all observers, brackets 2019 with three exclamation marks, it seems like Irish pundits are loath to stick the knife in even when it's warranted. Not that we want to go the route of the British tabloids and football, <laughs> but sometimes it feels like the pundits are holding back for fear of losing access or something. Uh, I should qualify that and say that you lot are absolutely not bad offenders at this. Sometimes you can almost hear Murray holding back a bit. There are print journals who seem to act as official PR mouthpieces rather than actually analyse or criticise as appropriate. Hugo does add the qualifier at the end of this. Also, feel free to have him tell me I'm full of shit with my perception that sometimes it feels a bit cosy. So off you go, Murray. Leash is off. You're full of shit, Hugo. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, that's an interesting one. Um, I suppose, like, again, there's maybe an example of where you're coming from with your perspective. Like, funnily enough, 2019, he mentions after the World Cup, I think we discussed, like, we got loads, of, I got loads of feedback afterwards when we were being critical uh, that it was too harsh, that we turned on Joe Schmidt, this great saviour of Irish rugby. Um, and so I've, I've seen the other side of that as well. Stick the knife in is an interesting term. Like, I don't ever want to stick the knife into anyone. Like, you know, that's, to me, that is a bit kind of, um, that sounds personal, like, you know. I think we are critical with fairness, especially on this podcast. I think if Hugo's been listening, which he obviously, I would presume, ha- has been. Like, the last year with Andy Farrell's team, I think we were pretty critical of their form. With the RFU, we've been pretty critical of that in a fair way without ever getting personal. That would be my main thing. Like, um, I don't know what Hugo's job is, but, like, it's not nice being reviewed 
so publicly and I know the players develop thick skins and whatever and it's part and parcel of of getting good wages but it's not very nice um when your kind of performance is under such scrutiny publicly and if that takes on a more personal edge or trying to twist the knife and, and stick the knife in it's very tough to deal with so my thing would always be trying to be fair and based on what's happened on the pitch what I've seen um and I think we do probably highlight poor play as well as as good play um but yeah 2019 I think there was plenty of criticism in in Irish rugby media of the team um especially after the World Cup and again this year with, with Farrell I, I saw loads of critical stuff like it can slant the other way a lot of the things I see online about people who maybe go and tip the balance the other way and are extremely critical and maybe even personal at times I, I can see a lot of fans hate that kind of coverage as well so um yeah you're trying to be balanced and I'm always trying to be fair to people certainly I'm, I'm trying not to hold back I don't think I am really but my personality is not to try and hang anyone out to dry or be personal with it as well so I can only speak for myself really um but yeah I think we're fair enough on this show anyway no and in fairness to Hugo he, he mentioned that in his question I, I think and this is me kind of speaking to your job really but it's something of an outsider's perspective in that I'm not on the beat necessarily in rugby terms too often but sometimes supporters want a journalist's work to reflect their emotions at a given time and their emotions even if Hugo mightn't like I'm sure Hugo isn't a guy who's <laughs> tweeting players abuse or anything of the sort but you know when say uh, your team underperforms or they ship a big score or lose or whatever and you feel something guttural like you actually feel anger whereas uh, and maybe some sometimes I can't speak for Hugo but sometimes fans want to see that anger in what's written then in the press or on the 42 or whatever whereas your job is to actually in some cases remove the emotion from it and just view it objectively which is what you do very well and maybe the fact that you don't add the emotion I know he says stick the knife in again I'm sure he doesn't mean make it personal but maybe um i guess be more uh emphatic or more angry with your criticism like that's kind of not your role either you know mm. um, yeah like a, a, lot of, a lot of the feedback we get is that our coverage is is pretty well balanced and people enjoy that about the 42 across the sports and and i definitely think we we do that pretty well the other thing is the access like that's definitely a myth there's no I don't get any access or phone calls or info from anyone um, across the board. You're not going to get rewarded for, for being nice in any way. Um, maybe others do. I don't know. Like maybe they do, but certainly not in my case. Um, so that's a bit of a, a myth. There's just press conferences. That's it. They used to even do one-on-one -on -one interviews where if you put in a request and the player was interested, you, you might get it, but they stopped doing that altogether now. So there's no preferential treatment whatsoever. Um, so maybe I should just start slagging everyone off. <laughs> Bernard obviously you're on the kind of airwaves on TV more so than right uh, but I'm sure you pick up the papers and you read the 42 and uh, I know you have a 42 membership for example so um, like you will have a I, I guess a totally external perception of this say the rugby media's treatment of the Irish team or the Irish provinces it's interesting in Hugo's question he kind of mentions that or he alludes to the fact that the football media in this country is a lot harsher on the national team and i don't want to be putting words in his mouth but i think that's what he was getting at and actually i don't get that impression at all when i read the football media uh, like stephen kenny's team haven't won in what 11 games or something along those lines and there's still a kind of a 
bar, bar a couple of outliers in tabloids, there's still a kind of a collective will for that team to do well, while also being objectively critical where it warrants, uh, where it's warranted. And I wonder, do people have this perception of like the football pages of newspapers being an absolute bloodbath after games where Dan McDonald or <laughs> Gav Cooney are absolutely lashing into the team? I, I don't actually see a great difference between the two. I'm wondering if you're flicking through the sports pages of a paper or, or scrolling down the 42 app, like, do you see a difference in how those two teams or two sports are treated by their national media? No, I think that the football one is more relevant to the UK, to England, um, and and you know how we see their national team being attacked if they have a high-profile failure. I think in Ireland, I don't see a huge difference between the GA um, uh, soccer and and the rugby rugby journalists. I think the challenge is to is to you know genuinely not not get carried away with the the hype or the, or the momentum against a team or a player um, and to objectively try and comment on it. And, um, and also like, so for example, I, I, I've been criticized for being negative about the pro 14. Um, but I, I really want the pro 14 to be really good. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, in, I'm invested in that obviously uh, financially, uh, but also emotionally in terms of um, I want it to be a, a, a really strong domestic league. And I don't think, papering over those feelings um, or camouflaging them is necessarily the right thing to do. Um, you know, I'd love next year with the four South African teams coming in and, and COVID behind us, that that league starts to really grow, you know? Um, but like, just because, just because I'm critical of it at certain times, doesn't mean I, I, I well, hopefully it should, from my point of view, it doesn't mean I have a, a, a massive problem with it. I just want it to be better. Um, and, um, I feel that's my job is to is to say that when when it, it's it's very much um, what I feel um, and that's that's yeah so you, people think oh I don't know why but they say oh you shouldn't be criticizing the competition because it's our competition but I, I don't see that as being um, a justifiable reason I think you have to say say what you see as long as you you know you're you're doing your analysis on it and you're backing up and you're comparing it to other leagues and and. Um, you know, you're you're being true to yourself, and then obviously, absolutely, people can criticize me um, for it. But uh, I'm I'm okay with that then because I, I understand why I've done. It. I haven't just gone off on a on a rant uh, for no for no reason without putting thought into it. Um, so yeah, from my point of view, I think our job as pundits is to is to call it as we see it, try and explain the the whys um, and the and and the what's around us. And and just throw it out there as as part of the opinion piece, and then people can either agree or disagree with us, um, and comment back and have that exchange of of ideas. Is is as I suppose what I see. Well, we're on the Pro fourteen slash sixteen. There was a question from Connor on the back of Keen's original question about punditry, and when I was saying in the group that we'd be getting into that a little bit, and Connor was saying, "Can you moan about highlights a little bit?" The way highlights are put together really grinds my gears, and he's got that emboldened. Uh, Pro 14 highlights in particular, always three minutes, whether a 10-try or one-try affair. And where it's a one-try one affair, two and a half minutes of the highlights are kickers lining up kicks, never the passage that led to the penalty, never any good or entertaining passage of play, just fucking kicks. The whole thing drives me nuts. Highlights can be a great advertisement for the sport, and this opportunity is constantly 
missed. And then Hugo, who, who had that previous question, actually followed up on Connor's point. He was saying, rant away, I fully agree. Pro 14 slash 16 highlights are awful. The Super Rugby highlights are much better. You can actually get a feel for how the game went at various stages. They show passages that don't even lead to scores. And Ian echoed that as well around the same time as Hugo's message was saying they should take a leaf out of the Super Rugby YouTube highlights. Highlights usually about six minutes and the action isn't just limited to tries. It's an interesting thing that they've picked up on. We're talking about trying to actually develop the Pro 14 slash 16. Certainly a way to do that can be with highlights packages that are made available online and I guess they're onto something there why not broaden it out and give a better sense of the games if we're criticizing the quality of this league then at least show some of the good parts of it definitely definitely agree with all that um and I've had similar frustration myself in the past and and that's why I always try and get a full copy of the game to watch back because the highlights package just isn't going to give you a a full picture of it particularly when as the message says it's just penalty after penalty and you don't even get the actual penalty offense to get an understanding of that side of it um so that side of the game definitely has massive development like it should be easier fa- for fans to i think access games after the fact it shouldn't be as much of an issue that people are using footage to like some of the stuff on youtube now is unreal and someone like squid Roby, who has a massive following getting videos blocked and i saw um Geraint Davies, who's a, a Twitter kind of analyst and, and a rugby coach, and he has had stuff blocked frequently uh, from what I can follow on, on Twitter, um, which is, again, disappointing because people definitely learn from and engage with those videos and get a little bit more excited about the rugby at the weekend. Um, but it kind of there's this kind of horde mentality for footage of games that have already happened. I can probably understand more if it's, if it's going to be a classic and it's going to be sold on a DVD at some stage. But for your kind of standard games from week to week, it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. The people who are whose duty it is to actually develop the sport are many of them. I can't speak for all of them. Are living in a bygone era as well, Bernard. Like if you look at America, for example, where the NBA and its president, I think Adam Silver, basically made the call to have a free for all for NBA footage on social media, so that if LeBron or Steph Curry or Kevin Durant or somebody does something unbelievable somebody can just rip the video and tweet it out and there'll be no repercussions and they basically grew the game massively increased ratings over the past five six years by allowing that whereas you look at the NFL which is actually struggling for viewership you have the problem also of the players being somewhat hidden behind helmets and they're not quite as easily or readily identifiable but when people would do that with NFL clips, there'd be almost legal repercussions for it. And like tweets would be ripped down. Accounts might even be suspended. If you were a repeat offender, I think Twitter were kind of working with the NFL on that. So for people like Squidge, who do an unbelievable job and has more than a cult following now, uh, that uh, while you understand, of course, that there are contracts in place for broadcasting rights, there should be an understanding also equally that these are people who will do your job for you. He's got, how many followers does he have on social media who are sort of 25 to, or sorry, probably 16 to 35, 40. That's a, that's a huge demographic. Firstly, it's also a key demographic. Let him work away. It's not going to cost you anything. And it'll actually help to put your product on people's phone screens in people's living rooms. Or am I missing the yeah. point? No, I, I, I didn't realize that that had happened in, um, in America, but I think it's, it's very smart um, and it needs to happen. I mean, you have a load of people now um, who actually have a deep knowledge of the game who are 
actively interested in spending time picking out clips, trying to formalize, um, you know, tactical and technical ideas and share for free. And as a, as a sport, whether it's World Rugby or or the different organizations, we're putting blockers in place, which sounds mental um, because effectively it's a it's a way to grow the game. On the highlights thing, I, I don't watch um, any highlights, so I, I don't know. Uh, I got caught signing a player on highlights years ago and it put me off. Put me off, but uh, so no, I I, I try I, like Murray. I, I download the game, and um, I, I I throw it into a a bit of software, and and I cut it up as I go, just just the way I, I watch games, um, and 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 file different things in different places. But uh, so I don't know, but I do know, I don't know from having watched highlights whether they're good or bad. But I do know from coaching, uh, players, is and and obviously the generation I coach 16, 17, 18 year olds upwards. Um, a lot of them do consume their rugby just through highlights. Okay, so they don't understand how you get into the twenty-two um, to have that opportunity to to throw the offload that that everyone looks at because uh, that that kind of stuff doesn't happen or, or doesn't get shown in highlights videos. So that's the big thing for me is to be able to coach better by sending players clips that help their understanding of how you get into position to do things that, that are sexy. Um, and I think that's a challenge for all coaches now, because before, you know, well, certainly for me, five nations on a Saturday, um, I would have sat down and watched the, 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 the two games and, and whatever, three games over the weekend, uh, six nations. And then um, I would have watched the whole game. Whereas my fear now is that, um, my own son is 12. Uh, you know, he'll never watch a full game. He'll just watch whatever comes up. You know what I mean? So, and that has an effect. And and I know speaking to other schools coaches, they've had to adapt how they coach. But again, it's the it's the question that was sent into the members group. You know, the person who sent it obviously wants more than just the the penalties and the and and the tries. Um, but I think there has to be there has to be that for everybody. So there has to be the people who just want the tries or the offloads or the or the or the sidestep or the big hit, and then the people who want to dive a little bit deeper. We should be trying to, I suppose, feed all the different needs um, that rugby fans, the prospective rugby fans or players um, have. And I think at the moment we don't. We just, it's it's um, it's very generic and uh, it's very simplified and it's probably not feeding, um, not helping us really grow as quickly as we want. Michael Halpenny sent a host of good questions, but he was wondering as well, uh, for the two of you, maybe start with yourself, Murray, when you're on air, uh, be it uh, on the pitch uh, with a screen or on the panel as you were with uh, for the Monster Connacht game quite recently, how much time would you spend reviewing your own performance after that, if any? Yeah, I would generally have a look back um, when it's a more frequent thing, like even say with our podcast at the start, I used to listen back and, and now I just can't bear listening to my voice anymore. I'm sure there's other people in the same boat. Um, but yeah, with the less frequent stuff like the TV stuff, which I still haven't done a huge amount of, um, I would go back and have a look and be self-critical and see where I could have made my point better, where I could have enunciated it better. Uh, I did co-coms for the first time recently and absolutely went back and had a proper thorough check of that and saw loads of bits where I could have been stronger or where I could have made a different point or where I could have been more aware of something else. Um, and also remind myself not to make up words on the spot on air. Um, so yeah, I, I do definitely do it because um, I want to get better at it as well. Um, 
like the 42 have been good in the past have done a couple of the kind of communications clinics things as well which which help a lot um and then again listening and watching others like there's nothing better obviously i'm watching a lot of games but i'm also trying to be a constant conscious of what people are saying why they analyze this maybe a little bits they missed as well and, and you learn all the time that way so absolutely i want to keep getting better at it, so I, I do definitely review that stuff when you're uploading a game to your uh, computer, Bernard, are you uploading the file in which you're the co-commentator and doing a bit of a personal review as well as a review of the game? Uh, I don't do it as often as I, as I probably should. A bit like Murray, I don't actually like listen to myself back. Or, um, but yeah, I do it now and again. I have, an, I have a different issue. When I when I watch games um, back, when I watch games live, I obviously listen to the commentary and the punditry. But when I watch game on a Monday night, I, I generally do it without the comms um i don't know why i do that but it's because i don't watch the dead time really um so i i i only watch the ball and play time uh so yeah sometimes if you listen to the commentaries you know it obviously you're yeah you're half the commentator or, or, or co-commentator is halfway through a message and then the action is gone so i just listen to it silent um uh, which probably you know it doesn't help me as a commentator co-commentator but um i'd rather focus on what's actually happening um and just make my own mind up on it and then obviously i do get access to to listening to other experts when i when i watch games live but when i'm doing homework yeah i, I listen to it in silence um or, or sorry i listen to it without the commentary i'm not saying i'm in a busy house so i can't say the house is silent but i i listen to it without listening to the commentary i do the same for fights actually if it's a contentious decision if i've been out of fight i'll watch it back sometimes with the commentary they will have one kind of perception of it which might might be at odds with mine or might be similar to mine and if they're similar i'll kind of think have i been swayed by them so i'll watch it back with no comms and might arrive at a different conclusion and it's it's interesting how look these guys are, are ultimately just trying to give us an, an impression of what's happening i'm including you in that both of you um but you can have a certain view of things that might differ to somebody at home as well you know what i mean and, yeah yeah, just on that, Gav. Like, just on that, like, I don't, I don't listen to Murray's podcast on a Monday until after this. Um, I don't listen to any other podcasts uh, until after this because I just don't want to be. I, I don't want to be. Um, and people like obviously sometimes we make the same points that that others other pundits make, but uh, I don't want to be biased by that. I want to try and try and at least um, speak for myself completely authentically without uh, the risk of of being um, yeah being swayed by someone else's opinion. So that, that's probably why, you know, certainly for podcasts, like I, I look like a, a, there's a couple of podcasts I really like, but I gen, generally won't listen to them until very late in the week. And by then, you know, you, you, by then sometimes it's, it's dated, but because we do this on a third, um, I try and not listen to them. You're the same, Murray, aren't you, with podcasts? Yeah, like our job has ruined absolutely everything about rugby for me. <laughs> it's taken the emotion out of it. <laughs> I don't listen to any podcasts, um, but I am the same. Like, it, it, absolutely, you want to have your own thoughts on things and you want to have not have that nagging doubt when you say something i think i heard someone else say this before so yeah it's kind of ruined it for for me i have a massive backlog of podcasts now and i'm never going to get through them another question from michael and this is a fine question and i'm actually intrigued by the answer as well who are your favorite pundits in rugby and outside of rugby and why i'll start with yourself there i can't remember his name i'll tell you who wrote it i can remember his name rod little He's the yes, guy who ran away and left his wife for a young one. Uh, I mean, come on, no, that's that sort of order, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, I really like Sam Warburton. Um, I think, well, obviously, Birch, number one, it goes without saying. 
aside from that, I think David Flatman's really good. Really enjoy his stuff. Ben Kaiser's one of only kind of come to more recently. Maybe he's just doing more stuff. I think he's in brilliant. I thought Paul O'Connell was a bit of a king in, in this dimension. I thought he was excellent. Um, just in terms of insight into the game, it really appealed to what I was looking for. Um, but there's there's loads of good in Ireland. Like Don Lennon, I think is brilliant, particularly on the radio when I when I hear him on there as well. He's excellent. Um, and he's very good at again contextualizing everything he has a really good understanding of the landscape of irish rugby as as well um but i think there's absolutely loads of good ones out there john barkley is another one more recently brian driscoll i think gives great insights as well and yeah i i don't generally find myself going oh, i don't enjoy this guy Stuart barnes is one who i know gets a lot of criticism but i've always loved his work um i know him he's a i've met him a few times and done a bit of work with him he's really great guy who just loves the game and is really passionate about it for some reason he seems to get a lot of abuse over it i don't know why but i think he's excellent as well so yeah they'd be the main rugby ones that probably jump out what about outside of rugby mate oh, i don't watch a lot of sport outside rugby to be honest gary neville is obviously someone that appeals to my like what i like about sport anytime i've watched him i've been kind of blown away i think he gets a really good balance as well between being analytical and nerdy at the right time but he can also come out with strong powerful opinions as you've seen recently with the super league stuff uh, he gets a really good bouncer i think he's one of the best in the game i don't watch a lot of american football but again tony romo obviously is incredible at what he does absolutely incredible to be able to to call things so frequently ahead of play and it's a pleasure to watch particularly for someone like me who doesn't know what to look out for um, so they probably be the two that stand out. What about yourself, Birch? Favorite pundits within rugby and outside of rugby? Uh, I would agree, Murray. I like Stuart Barnes. I, I, I know him personally. He's a really good guy, uh, and grew up with his commentary on when Sky Sports had the the European Cup. So uh, um, maybe there's a little bit of a uh, bias from that. Uh, I think Brian O'Driscoll is 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 getting better and better, um, and I think he's like he he's putting a lot of work now into into his homework and um i think he explains it really well i thought paul was very good um from uh i like i like flatman um he's a good fella as well uh i like andy good um i think he's he's good uh, uh from a non-ruby point of view um ruby walsh on horse racing i think he gives you an insight um which is far deeper than i've, I've previously been um subject to tomas o'shea in Gaelic, uh, similar, um, and yeah, I like Gary Neville as well because I think when he needs to speak from the heart, he does, and and he puts himself out there. Um, and then obviously when he needs to be technical, I thought, I thought himself and Carher, Carher, Jamie Carher changed, um, you know, football analysis a couple of years ago, you know, that Monday night stuff, and when they started to get deeper into it. And me, I'm not a massive soccer fan, but I actually really enjoyed kind of trying to understand you know um, what a defender needs to do in, in a certain situation etc so yeah i think um there's a cult of punditry at the moment as well which is dangerous too you know uh um i think like we all we all make massive fuck-ups uh, we all have bad days um <laughs> and uh yeah it's, it's just um <laughs> don't and everything we say isn't right as well well certainly for me anyway um you know it's just it's just how i feel at a certain time what about you, Gav? I don't really watch sport, Murray. To be honest with you, um, no. I, I <laughs> you've gone you've gone through most of the names. Like I was hoping you wouldn't ask me actually, because I was trying to think, and like there are so many from so many sports. Uh, I, I won't bore people with it because there'll be a lot of aing and humming and hawing. Uh, I'll come back to you next week on it. Here's uh, one from Finn O'Boyle. 
he was following up on Michael's question about your favorite pundits and he was wondering are there techniques or tricks that you've seen in other sports that you'd like to see used in rugby Murray so I guess um little parts of of analysis that other sports can do or or even pieces of technology that could apply to rugby I might be putting you on the spot there with that question I'm not sure if I said that one to you earlier sorry yeah well I mean the format of like we're talking about Carragher and Neville there that format is unbelievably interesting the Monday Night Football where they're going in depth on on things and have their big screen and stuff um we had the the kind of Pro 14 show on air last season where we did bits and that but you're showing all the highlights of every single game speaking of highlights as well so you're trying to squeeze in little bits in between the highlights um and I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed that it was it was great to be part of but I still think there's probably scope for that even next season and we don't know what's going to happen there's been no announcement with the rights but there's definitely a good proportion of rugby fans who would love to see that kind of show I think with an hour or whatever it is of really in-depth stuff probably not that much opinion or or chat where you're just sitting on the couches having a chat which will definitely appeal to other people and is a really important part of the mix but I suppose I'd you know you'd I'd love to watch that uh, the the rugby version of of Monday Night Football basically get the two of you on RT next to a big screen talking about <laughs> Scarlet's Ospreys <laughs> Bert, any any technological advances or, um, or tricks yeah, from other sports? So, no, I like um, I like when you have an audience. So I I did a, a scrum five, um, pre a post post Ireland Wales, you know, back a few years ago in a in a studio in in in, in BBC in Cardiff where they'd um, they converted into like a clubhouse and they'd invite in a a club. So the club would arrive. So it was a, say it's five o'clock on a, on a Sunday. So the the members would probably meet in the club in their own club at twelve o'clock, have a few beers, and then you know get on a bus and, and rock into the studio. And then um, so you had a, a live panel with with an, an audience um, and a, you know a relaxed a relaxed kind of bit of banter review of the game. And um, I, I I enjoyed that. And and I've seen I like when BT bring in bringing people into the studio and they do demos. I, I thought that was beneficial um, for, you know, for non-professional pe- players to, uh, or coaches to be able to see kind of a little bit of why uh, a certain technique is happening, whether it's a caterpillar at the rook or a jacket technique, etc. I just, I thought that was really good. You know, so it's an ability to mit- to match the, the footage with actual, you know, uh, a live demo. Um, I think that that's really good. And, and I think, yeah, an in-depth, an in-depth, uh, re- review showed it isn't just showing the highlights it's actually breaking down some plays um is uh is something i enjoy as well so yeah they're the ones that for me i thought T- tg car or, uh, or tina g they're quite creative in terms of you know um interviewing the coach on the pitch i know it's um you know interviewing a player during the warm-up little things like that um referee showing the referee in the dressing room giving the front rows you know the the key messages uh, things like that. I, 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 obviously, I know what they're like, but I think it opens up the um, the game in a in a in a greater way to the viewer. And uh, anything that does that is is a positive, in my opinion. With so many more questions as well, that unfortunately I won't get around to purely for time reasons. We've got to chat quickly about the Rainbow Cup as well, Murray. And like, I don't. I was wondering how to actually ask you about this, but basically. The entire competition is blown open. Let's just see what happens. It is exciting compared to what we thought it might be, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's so many teams still in the mix for that spot in the final. They've now confirmed it's going to be in Italy against the winner of the South African Conference as well. And 
And this weekend, there's loads of loads to play for. Munster Cardiff Blues is the the Friday game. They're both in the mix. Obviously, on Saturday, you have Benetton, who are leading at the moment against Connacht, who are who are back in the mix after their win in Thomond Park. That's a really juicy fixture, and I know Ulster and Scarlets are, are out of the running, but they have their own motivations there. Uh, Leinster will watch on this weekend, and and they will certainly be contenders for that final. So it is going to be a really interesting last couple of rounds of, of this competition. It's very condensed. It's very rushed. Obviously, there hasn't been a huge amount of outside attention on it, but the last couple of weeks promise to be pretty exciting. That Connacht match is the one I'm most interested in definitely this weekend. Like it would be a bit of a fairy tale for Benetton to win their last couple of games, but by no means are are they uh, straightforward. And Connacht are bouncing off the back of that win over Munster. They still have those consistency issues and this is another chance for them to back up a big performance by going away to Italy where they won last time. It was a gritty win in the end. They didn't play well that day, but they got over the line in in stoppage time or in injury time or whatever uh, and, and did just enough. So they'll feel there's a bit of a carrot there in terms of winning their last two games and, and certainly being in the mix for that final. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so we've got three provinces in the mix, Birch. We've got Benetton, Ospreys lurking in the long grass as well. Not many people talking about them. Yeah, well, Ospreys are, are, are tree from tree. Um, they play, uh, they have a bye this weekend, then they Connacht away, and then they play Treviso at home. So they have a, you know, they have a chance of being unbeaten. Um, uh, I think whatever unbeaten team, if, if there is a team unbeaten, they'll they'll be true. Um, I don't think Leinster will get enough bonus points or or uh, or, the, or you'll get caught on that. Uh, look, it'll be great. Great for Treviso to get into it. They've had a stinker of a start of the season. Um, you know they've rebounded a little bit, but I I don't see them being able to go to Car or to Ospreys and win. Um, and not even sure they'll they'll beat Connacht. So, um, yeah, I think it's wide open. Um, Leinster will will feel with Munster having lost that they have a chance to, uh, to catch everybody. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe just given the nature of such a short competition to see an Ospreys or a Treviso, or you know or a Connacht. Um in the final or maybe even a monster if they can obviously get bounced back will be good just for to change it up a little bit and speaking of um, TV stuff Gav it's great that Premier Sports are going to be showing the top 14 from this weekend all the way through to 2023 we've kind of complained about it a bit but we finally got it in, in Ireland and the UK two rounds left there as well and a serious battle for the kind of barrage places the top six and even for the top two it's going to be really hotly contested. Um, and even you actually look a bit French today, so I think you're kind of making a bit of a ploy, a bit of a, a kind of audition <laughs> for, for leading the coverage, maybe. Yeah, I just want to work, work with Birch as much as humanly possible. I'm just trying to put myself in the shop window, you know. Boys, pleasure as always. Thank you. Birch, merci. Thanks, guys. Au revoir. Au revoir. A bientôt. Murray, thank you very much. Cheers, Gav. Last little thing, I just want to say thanks to people who got on to us after last week's show. Um, got some unbelievably interesting emails it definitely something to, we'll come back to but heard from loads of people from East Wall in North Inner City Dublin Kilkenny where a club had kind of got going and, and is no longer the Kilkenny Normans all over the country really and it was it was great really good insights um, so yeah keep the messages coming Murray at the 42 is, is my uh, email and love to hear people's opinions on, on this pod as well yeah loads of emails and we were going through a few of them it probably would have taken up a full episode and i think it actually might again probably sometime soon so absolutely keep them coming to murray's email address murray.the42.e uh, <laughs> thanks everybody at home uh, all of the 42 members for your continued support for all of your questions and for helping us to shape our coverage on the pod as well merci 
Thank you to everybody who is a non-member. We've got a new Gaelic football podcast hosted by Morris Brosnan, whose rugby writing you might have become familiar with over the last couple of years or even in recent weeks on the 42. He had a brilliant piece on uh, from Australia very recently. Him, our own Fintan O'Toole and Kerry football legend Mark O'Shea on the mic for that one. Tune in for it. Uh, we will be back on Monday, Murray and Owen, and on Thursday for non-members then as well. Until then, mind yourselves. Have a great weekend. Take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moe! Rugby, rugby, weekly. Then the first pass, and it's a goal! Magic! You're not alive, boys, so you start kicking.